Welcome to the Warning Track Power Hour. I'm Andrew Scaff. He's Mike Orman. Uh, today we'll talk about the uh, DeAndre Hopkins signing and a few other um, unrelated football stories. Uh, but we'll lead off today with a little bit of baseball and the Royals beginning the second half of the season. Maybe first as to kick off the topic for today. Do you like that they call the second half of the season, uh, even though it isn't actually half the season, they've already played about 10 games more than half. Do you like the divide era of the halfway mark of the All-Star break not being halfway through the season? Or does it matter to you at all? It, well, in some ways, I guess it does matter because it's technically not half. The second half of the season is game starts with game 82 and goes through game 162. But... It is also easier to divide the season before and after the All-Star break. And maybe you could argue the playoffs are part of that second half and kind of make it more even with strength. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't really bother me. But yeah. in some ways, I guess you could just say, well, the second segment of yeah. the season. I was going to suggest that as an alternate. Second part, the second the part of the season. Yeah. Uh, segment. Part two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the stretch run, maybe you could call it. Yeah. Um, I don't know what they. What do they call? I don't. I haven't followed like stock car race. What, what do they follow the chase for the cup? Uh, part of. Do they still do that in like the Winston Cup or what? I guess, what is it? Next, it's not next to Taylor Sprint Cup anymore. It's. I think I you're asking know. the wrong person about this, Mike, because I don't have any idea. I don't follow that. Oh, it's just it's just no. called the NASCAR Cup Series. Okay. The NASCAR Cup. Yeah, it was called yeah. stuff. So it was the Monster Energy drink was the last one, and then they decided we're just going to call it the NASCAR Cup, which is kind of stupid. But um, maybe it's less stupid because it's not sponsored. I don't know. I guess, but you know, but like when it was the Winston, it was sponsored by a cigarette company that was very on brand for, um, yeah. I think for the uh, uh, for for NASCAR, and then. You prefer that to the the G League for the NBA instead of the developmental league, the D League. Now it's the G League for Gatorade because it is yeah. sponsored. I know. I guess I always thought of well, the NBA is a little classier than NASCAR, um, so I don't like the sponsorship as much for like that kind of sport. But for like for for like racing, like you have like billboards and just crap all over your cars traditionally. So like, there's no like cars the the, yeah, it's 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 just like the worst yeah. excesses of southern capitalism that you put on the car, and like I guess you had some of that in Major League Baseball. I guess you do again now that there now there are like ads on the fences and things like that. It's kind of an old timey kind of thing, but like, um, I, I, and I guess the NBA now has you know, has ads on uniforms and ad. I think right, just, and one just, ad. ad I think yeah, it's, it's not quite like international or like uh soccer where it's like all you see is the sponsor and you don't really even know what team it is other than like oh you know the sponsor this year but it's going to switch and like there's like that little crest that says manchester united or whatever right i mean even even the ufc to have like an excessive amount of ads like on banners behind the fighter and on the fighters like you know whatever they're in the ring and then like i think reebok Mid, signed a uniform deal with them and then so it was everything had to be just you know a single uniform had to be their uniform couldn't be anything anything else so even you know even that got pulled out of ufc so is ufc 
classier than NASCAR now. Yes. And possibly yeah. Major League Baseball. I didn't realize that Reebok went back to the old Reebok logo. Yeah. Remember they had that triangle for a while? Yeah. Instead of, instead of the, they had like the, for a while it was like the two-part Puma and Stripe for most of the time and then it became the yes. word triangle. Now it's right. back to the two-part Puma Stripe thing, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And like Asics has like one more line that yes. goes across. And like all shoe logos are all very, very similar. Like, there's um, only so much real estate to work with on a shoe. Yeah. But like, I can see the why piece. the Reebok decided to go for that weird triangle. But um, Converse was a little different because it's got a little star and that little, uh, it had that little Chevron star thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, yeah, those other ones, they all were pretty. Yeah. Puma uh, and Asics and Reebok, especially, were all. Basically the same and Nike was just kind of an upturned one. And then yeah. uh, you know, like K Swiss and uh Adidas were just stripes. And it was yeah, it's a little bit silly, but uh, I guess that's what you wrote. All, all of this is just to avoid saying that the UFC was classier than something else. Was that Yeah, well, I don't know if the US I, I don't think the US I think the, I, I think the UFC is not classier than I'm trying to think. It's classier than like a cockfighting organization. We'll say that. Um, maybe classier than dog racing. I wouldn't put it as classier than horse racing. Hmm. Um, yeah, probably fewer deaths. Well, fewer animal deaths, but uh, <laughs> I, I like. Well, I I prefer. I, I'm I'm of that old timiness. I still prefer boxing sure, to UFC. Fine. And I still would like to live in a world where boxing, horse racing, and baseball are the top uh three sports. Um I still like the NFL. That's really I like that, but I like I like that kind of old uh old world. So Yes. We were talking about baseball earlier, so maybe that I guess that could be a segue back into baseball. Sure. Purity and uh the the kind of um, old timiness that that baseball brings, and but now I guess you could say it's not the same because it's it's timed in some ways now. You have pitch clocks yeah. and things like that. But um, it seems like they've taken twenty plus minutes off of the average game time this season. Yeah, twenty six minutes, twenty eight minutes, something like that. Yeah, that's it's been. Uh, uh, it's yeah, it's been a lot. It says MLB day at least on by April, game times are down thirty one minutes. Um, I think they've and... gone up just a tick since then. Though. So I think they're I think they're still okay. like you know the twenty seven twenty eight minutes somewhere in that area is what they're on average. Yeah, according to, guess two hours and thirty eight minutes for twenty twenty three is the last time I see it, or it's somewhere around two thirty seven two thirty eight ish, and I think it was probably three hours. Yeah. Uh, close to it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they have probably the newest stats for game length um up here yet, but but I like I like the shorter games. I guess that has caused different problems. Like we talked about um beer sales being extended into uh the later innings. Um 
which may be a slight risk for higher risk of drunk driving, but I think it's more that was more of a symbolic gesture than really because mm-hmm. like if you're tailgating, they people keep beer in their cars and stuff like that. So right. it's not like it really like at the Chiefs game or whatever. Like people are drinking as they're driving out of the stadium uh, mm. in a lot of cases. So um, it's not. Yeah, I I I, I think the uh, I I think going selling it into the eighth inning rather than into only into the seventh inning is was was okay. Yeah. Um, but. Have you been to any Royals games lately? Not lately. You went, you went, you went opening day. Have you been yeah. to any since? That is all. Hmm. I've been watching a lot of games, but not, not, uh, not live and not in person. Not participating. It's been too uncomfortably hot in Kansas City for the last couple of weeks. I, I couldn't even imagine going out there to sit for Hit. 90 plus degree weather to watch watch them play very terribly has kansas city i know a little bit have they experienced the wildfire smoke uh, Mm. a lot no i don't think so i haven't noticed it here in uh pennsylvania like today and yesterday and like a few weeks ago like if you go outside it smells like a campfire you can you just always have a quality in the air that you can you can pick up you can see it and like physically see it everywhere you can physically see how hazy it is yeah and like like it's foggy, like sometimes, and it's yeah. just smoke, um, and you feel dirty just walking outside. It's a little mm-hmm. bit like probably living in Pittsburgh, like in the '60s, probably would have been, or Los Angeles in the '60s, um, with like that hazy kind of smog. And yeah, it's wow. been really bad. The wildfires. So they now it's the it's the wildfires from, I think the Alberta, uh, mm-hmm. Canada region. Before it was like the Quebec wildfires that were coming in. So now it's, uh, it's, 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 yes, yeah, like um, yeah, the air quality. Like if you look, like, you know, my phone has like forecasts and like I, I had never seen like an air quality alert on my phone before, but now like every day I look for it. Each day and, a new air quality yeah. alert. Yeah. So right now it says here in Frostburg, the air quality is 59 moderate. Um, in St. College, it's 108 right now, unhealthy for sensitive groups. And it's been like up to 200 in, uh, at times, uh, Pittsburgh uh, in State College, farther up. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's only, it's 94 right now in Pittsburgh. But like, I'm going to look at Kansas City. I'm on my phone here. Um, I was just trying to open my, my phone to see if it, if it had that even in there. It says 50, it says 54 right now, moderate. So, mm-hmm. But like before, like this summer, like it was like oh, my, moderate. Uh, is like for where I am right now in the late Okay, okay. so farther north you are, probably the worst it is. Maybe, um, but like I had, I had never noticed that feature, or if like it had been on, like I don't think I'd ever seen it even get to moderate before. Yeah, and now like moderate is like the the norm the norm for this summer and it's been wow. yeah it's like right now it's a sen- sen- unhealthy for sensitive groups it when it gets like to 130 or so it's just like unhealthy for anybody to be outside yeah. and like it's like when you go out you feel like you've smoked cigarettes if you stay outside too long well you know i almost don't want to even say this but in that scenario if you're smoking a cigarette you might actually 
<laughs> better chance because you'd at least be drawing air through the filter of Ooh, the through the filter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although they're technically not allowed to say that filters are healthier, even though they they have to be because they do filter some stuff in. Like it's it's just one of those things where I was like, well, you can't say that you know jumping off a twenty foot bridge is safer than jumping off a forty foot bridge, which. <laughs> it is you still might get hurt but like it's just it's 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 because well we don't want to send the wrong message so we can't say it's yeah but you know smoking a a filtered cigarette is safer than smoking a non-filtered cigarette just by you know i guess maybe you could say well maybe there's stuff in the filter that is uh really bad and cancer causing but like um i don't know if you were to like cut the filter off that would be worse just to just have the tobacco directly. It'd be worse to smoke probably the filter than it would be to smoke the tobacco because well, it probably has flammable though, right? So what? So you can, you can kind of set a filter on fire. It doesn't really burn very easily. Yeah, it um, should. It shouldn't be. It should be like cotton or something, right? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's mostly like that. Yeah, it's some sort it's of. Probably not a very good filter though, but yeah. Yes. But you like if you that if was you, by no means an endorsement of smoking. Yeah. I was just... <laughs> but if you smoke a cigarette and you take the filter, you have a filter. You can take it apart and you can see all of the like the brown stuff, and that brown well, stuff would have gotten into you, but it, it didn't. So, mm. although maybe you could also say, well, if you have a cigarette or a cigar and it's not filtered, you don't breathe in as heavily as you might if the if you have the filter. So I guess that's another. Yeah. But um, now, if you smoke like marijuana or something you're still breathe you breathe that in very deeply so yeah so it's you know i guess it doesn't have quite the tar i don't know but it's a less processing i think is what i think that's actually what the issue is well just being outside is is like a is a risk in itself it has been like a cigarette kind of uh uh, even keeping the windows open yeah you really just need to like close your windows and have the air conditioning on here um wow yeah, it's been so bad. Yeah, uh, in Maryland, not quite as bad as farther up in Pennsylvania, but like New York City, Philip, uh, Central Pennsylvania, uh, Pittsburgh have been pretty air quality. And, um, yeah, but, uh, like if you Google um, Pittsburgh air quality, like photos or whatever, you'll you'll find. Um, yeah. Smoky, like just yeah, just Google Pittsburgh air quality and then go to images. Yeah, and you can see how and these are like all from this year or this like this past summer, like how just how smoky and cloudy it is, and that's what Pittsburgh would have been like with all this probably the steel and coal industry being so big. It's, hasn't been bad. Yeah, that's great. That's a that's a great image. Thirty plus years. Yeah, <laughs> you can almost you can like see the buildings downtown sort of and uh yeah yeah yikes yeah but um that's so i guess that's been the big weather story around this parts and uh the pirates maybe maybe that's why the pirates aren't doing as well they've had a Mm. strong start but then they're fading they're not quite as bad as the royals but i think they might not make my over of 68 wins or whatever it was uh that I had predicted, but um, you, the, the Royals certainly are going to be under, and you uh, were really upset. And a half. No, no, um, 67 and a half for the Pirates. Okay, so 68, I mean, it's 68 or more. That's still possible. But um, it could be 68 and... Oh, they have really dropped. Ooh, yeah. yeah, the Pirates have been bad lately. Uh, and I wonder if it's the air quality. <laughs> 
Devine. Wow. Yeah. But everybody else has to play. Most of the bets I had made are all looking very terrible right now. I guess the Do- the Dodgers have taken off, so maybe they're back in contention for for, for my uh for my bet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, I think I am going to miss three of the four. I, sure. I I I still have three. I have three possible that I could get the dot. The pirate the pirates could still go over. I think the Red Sox are probably going to be over. I think there are seventy over seventy eight. And right now they're six games over five hundred. And yeah, so that, that's in good shape. Pirates still might finish under, but it looks like maybe Tigers not. one's going to be close. Yeah, the Tigers one's going to be close too. I meant the Tigers last time I said Pirates, but um, yeah, Andrew McCutcheon was a, was was. Um, really sparking Pittsburgh for a while, but um, yeah. they've they've faded in over the last couple of weeks. I haven't been to any games, but maybe the, the Paul Skeens um, uh, draft pick, number one overall, he signed to a record signing bonus today. Really? Yeah, nine point two million, highest. The largest MLB draft bonus ever doled out to the player. So actually under slot value. Oh, was it? Yeah, nine point seven was the slot value. So oh, I guess they actually got a bargain. I guess some people were surprised that maybe Skeens was the number one pick. So maybe that's why they did it. I don't know. Um he was one of the top three for sure, they thought. Mm. And so we'll see what happens with the old uh, pirates, but um, the Royals. We can talk about. The, do you want to talk about the draft? Do you want to talk about the, how the Royals are doing right now? Because I know you have some concerns and some uh, criticisms, some vitriol, perhaps mm-hmm. even uh, mm-hmm. for uh, uh, the Royals and their current uh, management, or uh, just how they're playing the game. Decision making, right? Decision making, yeah. Well, you know, we've we've talked about this kind of a lot this season about how you can be, you know, if you have a good team, sometimes you can make dumb mistakes and overcome them. If you have a bad team, like your best chance is to at least be smart about it, and like maybe you can steal a couple of games. Like maybe you don't, maybe you don't have the like the most talent, but you can still win if you are smarter than your opponent. Saying, "Woof!" This last couple of days have been really rough watching. <laughs> Royals management make decisions. Yeah, they're came out of the All Star break uh, with the with the rain out, and then played a doubleheader, which didn't look very good. Like, uh, you know, it's probably not the first thing you want to do is play a much better team in a doubleheader. Not, yeah, and perhaps a team that was a little bit irritated that the Royals played well against them earlier. The Rays um, are. You know, still the top team in the American League, but they've not been able to have their their mm. keep the momentum that they had from the earliest days of the season. So, um, yeah, the Royals lost two in a row, and they've lost well, they're two. I guess they're two and three now after they won tonight, eleven to ten. Over well, the- they, they dropped the first two games in the doubleheader, and then they beat the Rays in the third game. I think they had nine runs in the game too, so it was like kind of an outburst of. Scoring after the lax play in the day before, uh, then they then they played the the Tigers, who are a much weaker team than the Rays, at least anyway, and and uh, 
most of what I noticed, at least anyway, was in the Monday night game, which I thought was entertaining. I thought I'd run through the sequence of events. And when the decision making started, I believe every decision that was made was wrong before they actually like who they selected to do each thing basically was Mm. the wrong person or the wrong choice made entirely by management not players this is not the players fault this is how the players are being used seems a little like uh you're going to talk about um chernobyl type of uh situation there wasn't a a real meltdown but maybe Mm. way the did you ever did you see the series chernobyl i did yeah that was interesting in this case this was just me melting down watching the game Mm -hmm. happen not uh not there wasn't not fissionable material, <laughs> fissile fissile material. Yeah, <laughs> fissile. That's what it is. Yeah, well done. Yes, but uh, yeah. So so in this game, uh, the Royals actually managed to get a two run lead through the top of the seventh inning. So the Royals are batting now in the bottom of the seventh, up to this is a Jordan Lyles start. So it is a highly unlikely to win yeah. a game. In with. He's what. Yet he had taken them, you know, two through seven solid innings, no runs allowed, not too bad. Very, yeah, he's, I mean, he's, he's really heating up after his 0 and 15 start or whatever it was. So, right, right, starting to get in the groove. So, in, in this in this scenario that just happened, though, was uh, the Royals actually got the first two batters on base, so it's first and second, nobody out. Uh, Drew Waters coming to the plate, who they had spent most of the early part of the game talking about how great he has been batting this season, this last week or so. Mm-hmm. Multiple home runs, hit a couple triples, driven to a lot of runs. Uh, he was asked to, to bunt, which is one of the things I find annoying. In the scenario, it's like sort of okay, uh, but knowing where he is in the lineup, uh, not a great choice because that's the 8-9 hitters coming up behind him you're less likely to get, you know, guys, seemingly in this scenario, this is the best time to try to just get a hit. And uh, he tries to bunt. It does not go well. The second attempt at the bunt, I believe he like hit into himself where he spent some time on the ground. Uh, (laughs) And then he struck out on a pitch, not even close to the zone on the third pitch. So it was just an awful at bat from him, but he shouldn't have been in this situation to be asked to bunt though. That's one um next they ended up um pinch hitting for the next uh batter which was michael massey uh using uh matt duffy as the pinch hitter even though nikki lopez is the next batter coming up who should definitely be pinch hit for in every scenario Uh, (laughs) i know um, you're disdain for nikki lopez uh, on this program uh Duffy did like hit the ball well but it was like it it was a center fielder made a nice catch and and uh you know second out no runners have moved up. So, you know, Lopez is up then with two outs and two on, uh, strikes out, which is, you know, what he does in that scenario. Uh, then top of the eighth begins. Uh, they bring out the pitcher who, in his last time he pitched an eighth inning, gave up five runs in a third of an inning. Okay? That's hmm. not, yeah. We've just seen him do something similar in just about a week ago. Uh, so he gives up uh, a double, gets a pop out, and then a strikeout, and then he can't find a strike zone. He hits the next guy, walks the guy after that. Bases loaded, two outs. Then change pitchers to Jose Quas, who I know we talked about this about two weeks ago, 
that there is one pitcher that should never come into games with guys on base because he lets them all in every time. I believe now he's come he's been in a game where he's um had guys on he's had 36 inherited runners i believe now 20 of them have scored which is much worse than league average that is really high it's a lot of i mean it's a lot of times to come in in the scenario one but now that you have data on it he shouldn't be coming into games with guys on base uh he allowed he couldn't throw strikes to start with walk the first guy so now it's two to one without even you know doing anything at all double to the next batter so now the other two runs have scored uh, and uh, the Royals, you know, lose the game basically, right? Not quite right there, but, uh, you know, in that in that scenario. So there are like six decisions made by the manager in a row. All of them were bad. And it's, uh, you know, who do you go to in these scenarios rather than, than uh, you know, who they actually did bring in? Uh the answer is what is what it wouldn't have mattered who they went to. It would have been a better choice than what they did. So you Based think any past performance, past recent performance, even Clark's not the eighth inning guy. He can't be the eighth inning guy. There's no reason to go to him in the eighth inning ever. Quas should never be coming into games with guys on base. Now, if they started the inning with Quas, then they'd at least say that, well, we we thought he, you know, would do okay. He's, now there's nobody on base, so his ERA is relatively low. That would have been a fine decision to make, I think, as a manager, but it was just very dumb. And these are things that we've already seen them do this season. It's not even new. It's like, or throwing them into an unknown scenario. They're known scenarios, and they we know that they don't do well in these scenarios. So management takes that loss, in my opinion. I don't think the players are really at fault. They're just playing the game the way they play them and the manager manager and you know management are not using them in in a way that makes any sense yeah i guess do they do, do they put him on in the middle of the inning because he has a sidearm delivery and they think that will surprise the person who is batting after they've seen the overhand pitcher uh come in is that is that is that maybe the reason but then they also had another guy on the roster briefly not i mean not very long ago that actually was good in the scenario of having guys on base with a an odd arm delivery was amir garrett yeah they just let him go i mean they just released him yeah he had like a good game and then then um was there like a they needed a roster spot for uh Mm. uh for a call up and and uh they decided he was the odd man out but they kept quas and they kept Taylor Clark, who they probably could have released both of them. <laughs> yeah, and they brought up Yar and they brought up Yarbrough when mm. instead of keeping Garrett, I guess. Oh, that was yeah, it. That, that was they'd let Garrett go when Yarbrough was called up. That's it. Yeah. Why? Yeah, Yarbrough's really not good, but yeah. um, Garrett was having a better year than Yarbrough. Because Yarbrough was a starter and Garrett's a reliever, yeah. but but yeah, yeah, but Garrett had you know, uh. In 27 games, he had 28 strikeouts in 24 and a third innings pitched, a 3.33 ERA, which is pretty good, especially for a Royals reliever in this day and age. Um, mm. Yeah, I don't understand the Amir Garrett. He must have con- he must have like had person some personality clash, or because yeah. like he was designated for assignment, and then like, and then now he's been released. So I guess he didn't want to go to Omaha. 
again. And, or nobody wanted to trade for him either. So yeah, he was just released, I guess, on July 15th. So he's, it's only been a few days. So, so when, I think when they designated him for assignment, I think it, they, you know, they could look for trade partners and yeah, I think that's a good way. Yeah. So when outright releases is, uh, you know, so it's nobody wanted, yeah, yeah, we've had to claim off waivers. And so like he had two point, he's making 2.65 million this year. Yeah. So, which isn't very much for a lot of teams, but I guess it's more than the minimum. So maybe they're going to restructure, but like, yeah, it's a little odd. The Royals signed him for that much. And then decided well, so, just to get, well, so now another team could sign him for the league minimum and the Royals are still on the hook for the remainder of a salary for the season anyways. So yeah. I don't, yeah. It does, you know, I guess he was the most expendable of the 40 man roster, but well, I don't like it. Like, like, you had said earlier this season, even before the season started, and it's really come become true. The Royals signed a lot of guys for some unknown reason, really. Like mm. a lot of kind of journeymen who they thought, I guess, would give this Royals team a kind of respectable aura or something and be able to like pitch some innings while the young guys were uh, not exposed to too much. Um, many you know kind of difficult situations but sure. they've been worse than the royals kind of regular guys or at least just as bad and making more money so why not just go with the you know the homegrown uh it should, rather it should than have the, been the year of the let the kids play and that should have just been the motto yeah they brought some veterans in to sort of like help mold them from the background and then you know to jump in if they struggled but it seemed like the Royals were trying to use some of those guys to see if they could build trade pieces out of them, which means they need full-time playing opportunities yeah. to try to build that that sort of like, you know, history to it worked for Chapman. That was about it. But um, they still I don't think they got enough for him, realistically. Yeah. I think I think if they if they had him be an actual closer and could win games, then that would have been a much better showcase of his talent than to be an eighth inning guy on the worst team in the league. Yeah, I don't know why he was what below that, what Barlow. Does that mean? Now, now they're trying to shot Barlow probably, but Barlow had let, let four let four runs in the ninth tonight to almost lose the game for the Royals. So it's been... But if they're following that same weird. model, they should actually have him be the eighth inning guy now and have somebody else be the ninth inning guy. <laughs> if, that's the, if that's the model that they're, that they're even trying to go from their own scheme... They don't. They're not. They don't make any sense. It doesn't make. It doesn't make sense. I like, guess they don't want to mess with a good thing. Like, you can't draw a box or anything they do and say this is how they do things because there is no rhyme or reason to any of it. Even if you're trying to look at it from the from the uh, lens of a crazy person, it doesn't make. It doesn't. I, there's nothing I, to make sense of this. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, and they've just been so bad. And, and then even today's lineup. I thought on paper was possibly the worst lineup I may I've ever seen a franchise put down as a lineup card. And somehow they scored eleven runs today, Mike. I don't I don't know. It seems like the players just overcome or have in this case overcame at least their own management today, uh, to barely hold on to win to with scoring eleven runs. Maybe yeah, the bright spot though was the um Four for four game from uh, Tyron Blanco though today. Did you see what he had done tonight? He yeah, it was four for four. Was there? He's I think it was three extra base hits, including a triple, two doubles and a triple, two doubles and a triple, becoming yeah 
Curtis Granderson like almost uh, tonight's yeah. game. Or more, more, more of Apollo Orlando probably is more of an approachable figure uh, yeah. than Granderson was actually a really good player, but uh, he was one of those guys who like filled the stat sheet with every type of hit. He had lots of doubles, lots of triples, lots of home runs, uh, and he's, I guess, probably a borderline. Do you think of him as a borderline Hall of Fame player, Granderson, or is he yeah. below that level? Probably nearly, but I, he probably won't make it. That would be my guess. He'd be borderline at best. He's worth. I'm looking at Granderson's stats right now. So he, I, I know. Him, so he played for the Tigers for a long time. Then he played for some Yankees teams, and I think he won mm-hmm. uh, World Series with them. Then he played for the Mets. So, and then he had a few different teams at the end of his career. So he played for some like Yankees and Mets. So that's kind of you know he, he was in the spotlight. So he lot. was on the 15 Mets team, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He was their one of their best players. He uh, had uh, 26 home runs, 70 RBIs that year. Um, 821 OPS, uh, 127 OPS plus. So he and he was, um, yeah, he's he was he was a solid player. He's worth about uh, 47 WAR over his lengthy career, which um, I don't it is probably not enough for a Hall of Fame. Okay, so you did play in three World Series. But they did not win. Oh, they didn't yeah. win any of them. Yeah, he played. I guess he probably played in two with uh, Detroit. The one, one with Detroit. The one with Detroit, one with the Yankees, and then one with the Mets. One with the Mets in fifteen, and then ah, I lost it. One of the Yankees, probably in. You would think, right? Oh, here it is. Uh, and then oh, he and then he was um. 2017 Dodgers when they oh, lost the Dodgers when okay. they lost to the Astros, but he didn't. He didn't actually play in the series, but he was on the roster. Yeah, Granderson. I don't. Yeah, he's not a Hall of Fame player. He was a good player for a long time, um, yeah. and he had some really good uh, years. He had 23 triples uh, in 2007. He had 38 doubles, 23 triples, 23 home runs. That's a like a George Brett kind of stat uh, in terms of the number of extra base hits. Yeah, baseball reference says him on the Hall of Fame monitor at 61 with likely Hall of Famer needed the score is 100. So apparently short. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, short. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so that's but he's they they kind of have him as similar to like Ron Gant. Yeah. He did a lot of writing, I think, for MLB too. It's his his um his articles are pretty good. I don't know if you've ever read any. Yeah, I remember that too. Yeah, I liked Granderson. I think he was uh yeah um he was seemed like a smart guy and a good player, and like he knew like how to run the bases as well. Like he was yeah like, he the he high, was high baseball IQ situationally right? very aware. Yeah, uh, and and yeah, I liked him as a player. Um, and I, I, yeah, I had, I was thinking, well, like if Scott Rowland can make the Hall of Fame, why not Curtis Granderson? But yeah. Rowland had, Rowland uh, was uh, much higher, like batting, they were somewhat similar, but Rowland had a much higher defensive value 
according to baseball. Yeah, I wonder where Roland fell on his uh on that Hall of Fame monitor stat too, if that was close or not. I'll yeah, Roland it. um Hall of Fame monitor. Well, oh, he's ninety nine on the Hall of Fame monitor. Yeah, so he was higher. So just just right at the cutoff is what according to that yeah. metric. I don't know yeah. what goes in that metric, but but I think it's because of um it's because of the fielding that Roland was seen as a very slick, and he was, I guess, the stats do back him up as a very solid third baseman. And he was, he was worth uh, 52 war in batting and in, in, in offensive war at 21 war defensively. Because yeah, we, we were looking at the, uh, like, Jeter list last week, right? Wasn't that? Yes. And his D war number was like minus ten, I think, or something. Even for somebody who's like an expected first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, uh, and if you look at total war, uh, Jeter, Jeter was seventy one point three, Scott Rowland was seventy point one. So they're very close in total yeah. war. But Jeter's batting was a lot better, but his defensive stuff really pulled him down. And and you wonder if Jeter had played third though, like when you know A Rod when he was on the team, he was a better defensive shortstop than Jeter was. He should have played. He should have played short, and Jeter maybe should have played third. And if Jeter had played third, maybe his defensive shortcomings would not have been as um, great because you really it's because you know you don't need the range. You you can react. You know, I think Jeter was very instinctive the way he played. Yeah. Um, he was a very had a very quick reaction, and like like that you know we talked about that that Jason Giambi or Jeremy uh, Giambi throw a, a little flip. Um, but that may or may not have actually been out, but like that was a, you know, sort of Mahomesian kind of uh, improv. It was high awareness to yeah. get to the ball and then to relay it as well, right? Yeah. So that was, you know, so we, you know, even though I don't think either of us are huge Jeter guys, but um, Granderson seems like seemed like that in that mm-hmm. group too. He he was a smart uh, player. So, uh, so was so was Roland, of course, but. I just I just never thought of Roland as being more than like a, an above average hitter, and I guess he was an above average fielder too. Whereas I think so, I guess that both of those counted for uh, accumulating um, stats. So, but but Jeter's uh, Hall of Fame monitor number is three three seven. Well over the 100, 337. Well, he won a lot of championships. Yeah. And he won a lot of awards. Yeah. I guess they, I guess Roland and Jeter were both rookie of the year. He was an all-star maybe more. Um, He also played. Oh, so Hall of Fame monitor does weight more heavily to certain positions, I guess, on championship teams. Mm. So oh, there's all kinds of crazy rules on this. Yeah, I know. I've I've looked at the Hall of Fame monitors more for the NFL than I have for me, uh, um, yeah. on Football Reference rather than the Baseball Reference. But um, in some of the counting stats, because Jeter to get over, he got over three thousand. Roland yeah. didn't, you know. So once you get over three thousand, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. You know, driving in so many runs. Um, yeah. Yeah.
Yeah, they had really similar totals. Mm-hmm. Home runs and RBIs were actually pretty close. Roland has like 50 more home runs. RBI is almost the same. Huh, I didn't know they were that close. Yeah, and some of the stats, I would, yeah, Jeter was the kind of the face of the Yankees for a while. And that, I think that counts. Kind of the face of the league, actually, right? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, especially in the post steroid era, because, yeah. um, you know, he was he was beloved also in New York, whereas A Rod was not. When right, and, and that's some some of it is just because um, Alex Rodriguez's personality was was it was either phony or kind of mean, and yeah, Jeter I guess seemed more genuine in some ways, even if he was also on a Seinfeld, uh, which I uh, he and uh, Gary Sheffield uh, you remember that one when. Uh, Right. This was it was it was that would have been after Jeter's rookie year when they won or early on in his career when they won the '96 World Series because Costanza George Costanza had uh, joined the Yankees and the Yankees hadn't been in the playoffs for years and years. Um, I don't think they had been in the playoffs since they won the World Series like in '81 or so. And oh when they played the oh they lost the World Series I think it was the Dodgers in '81 maybe that was what it was. Tigers um, the Tigers were around there wasn't it? Tigers won in '84. '84 okay. Um, I think it was the Yankees Dodgers World Series in '81, and I think the Dodgers won that one. I remember. Um, yes, the Dodgers over the Yankees in six games. Just yep. as they finished, they won uh, in the 1996 World Series uh, over, um, uh, was it the, uh, uh, the, the, oh, was it the Braves? Oh, it was, it was, yeah, it was over the Braves in six games. And uh, George was, that was when George was talking about uh, how to hit the ball. Was that the episode where he um, stopped having sex so he became really smart and was able to, uh, like, uh, you know, do everything and he, he knew the physics and stuff. And yeah. he was trying to teach Derek Jeter and uh, Gary Sheffield. How to how to hit and and, and and Jeter goes like well we won the world you know we won the World Series and uh, Costanza goes six games <laughs> <laughs> and, and so that's what I think of the so he was on Seinfeld uh, so that gives him a a boost Dan Cartable um, that put him right into the Hall of Fame was that just that yeah. right there was he already Paul there yeah. yeah 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 how many uh, yeah, so speaking of Danny Tartable, how many war do you think Danny Tartable has? He was a very good player for a very long time. Yeah. But he only had 23 war. He must not have been a very good defensive player. No, I don't know. Oh, yeah, he was a terrible defensive player. He really? Was, he was worth 35.5 war offensively, minus 18.4 defensively. So that, that really sapped all of his value. Yeah. Um, Almost back down to average, then, right? Yeah. Overall. Yeah. Paul O'Neill had more career war than uh, Tartable. No. Um, O'Neill also was a below average defensive outfielder, um, hmm. uh, worth more of the plate. Um, so maybe you remember that episode where Paul O'Neill was supposed to hit two home runs uh, for the yes. kid in the in the hospital. Um, he was also supposed to, in, in the second bet that, uh, the second arrangement that Kramer made, he was supposed to catch a fly ball in his hat. Uh, 
And right. that's, I don't I don't know if uh, Paul O'Neill really can uh, do that. Um, hmm. Of those, yeah, it looks like Granderson has more war than Paul O'Neill or Chartable. Uh, yeah. Sheffield yeah. Uh, probably uh, he has sixty career. Oh, war. You know, I'm sure he was also a defense. Oh, he was a oh he was he was worth eighty one offensively minus twenty seven point seven defensively. So he was even more of a liability in the field, or as much of a liability in the field as Dan Cardable. And the Yankees had some really bad defensive hmm. teams. Uh, looks like they could score a lot of runs, but yeah. you know, with Jeter, Cardable, O'Neill out in the field, um, none of those guys. I don't. Uh, were uh, were good defensive outfielders. Um, they were definitely prioritizing hitting over yeah, fielding. Hideki Matsui was uh, well below as well. I just looked up, so like yeah, there it was not. Um, so Granderson, I guess, was slightly above average or just slightly average, I guess. So he did better. But yeah, those Yankees teams. Um, yeah, it was in some ways it was the mystique of the Yankees and just being in New York and it seemed like they were like, I don't know, really good. Even if um, defense, you know, they won a lot of, won a lot of things, but defensively they were only average at best. Like Jorge Posada was kind of, um, he was worth a total of 2.6 defensive war over his career. Hmm. 40 um, something total. Hmm. Yeah, do you, do you, I would, yeah. Do you think Posada is a possible Hall of Fame player? Probably not. He his Hall of Fame monitor, monitor the batting is ninety eight out of one hundred, yeah. so just one below rolling. Yeah, is it, when is he is he up now or he should be? I just I just never thought of, thought there was much support for him. Uh, he yeah. retired in twenty eleven, so I don't know if he's still on the ballot even. But um, I, I was a little surprised because he seemed like a very popular um, player uh, for those Yankees teams. But, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, he, 2011, he's probably off the running. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Gary Sheffield also has Hall of Fame batting monitors as well above Hall of Fame standards, but I think he is tainted by the steroid yeah. possibilities. And um, I don't know about Bernie Williams. He was uh, another popular, very popular. He was also below average on, in the field. He was a, he was worth negative nine point five uh, defensive WAR. So he was sixty three something batting and negative nine point five. So like that was a pretty uh, yeah me mediocre to lower to below uh, set of Yankees. Uh, outfields. I guess at Yankee Stadium, you don't have to cover a lot of ground, but yeah. So uh, Posa Posada was up in his first year in the ballot was 2017. Uh, he fell below the five percent cutoff, um, mm. probably because a lot of the steroid guys were around in their you know multiple th year, um, yeah. like Barry Bonds is in his fifth year. In getting half a vote, but not nearly enough to get elected. 
Manny Ramirez on his first year, I guess is all, but uh, Sammy Sosa was there like in his fifth year too, and and had just enough to 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 stay on the ballot. But Posada was below the five percent cutoff and hmm. was then off after his first attempt anyway. So yeah, he was a I thought of a very one of the one of the best catchers it seemed like um, yeah. in the league, but he was a good hitting catcher at least. I thought he was decent um, defensively. Well, yeah, Johnny was- Dame. Johnny Damon, I just looked up, also was a below average outfielder for his uh, career worth negative. Or so none of those uh, Yankee guys of the aughts were good defensively. I guess. Yeah, that was a, the year that uh, Jeff Bagwell made it in his seventh year. Tim Raines in his tenth. Wh- why was Bagwell thought not to be a steroid guy? I don't know. He seemed like the like seven attempts to get in though, so it wasn't. Yeah, he seemed like the most roidy of all of them, with like yeah. those giant arms and like that horrible goatee, and then like Daryl Kyle on the team died because he injected all those drugs and stuff. Like it was like, was he on the Cardinals then, or was he on the uh, um, Astros? Do you remember that Bagwell? No, I, just, I only remember with the Astros. And even I don't remember him playing anywhere else. He, oh, he was on the Cardinals then. He he played with uh, the Astros through '97, two years in Colorado, and then the last three of St. Louis. Or Kyle, Joe Kyle, yeah, yeah. Bagwell, yeah. I think. Bagwell, Bagwell only played for Houston, so yeah. Yeah, but I just remember, yeah, Bagwell had those like two years in a row where he had a um, got hit on the hand and and broken hand, like almost this. It was like almost exactly a year. Yeah. After the first one, it was like the same, almost the same pitch type, and like the same location, mm-hmm. and it was like the same outcome. Then to broken hand, yeah, Bagwell did win an MVP, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, in the, I, strike, in the strike shortened year. Okay, yeah, I guess he didn't have the monster home run numbers. Like he didn't yeah. have like. He only is as high was 47 in mm-hmm. a year. So maybe that helped him slide under the radar. Maybe. I guess. Um I I thought of him as a um as one of the guys that probably not that I know of any, you know, but no. if 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 they were going to be like everybody else kept out, I didn't I don't quite understand why Bagwell got in and Right. Others didn't. Um, no. Yeah. There's no real explanation or rhyme or reason to some of this stuff, you know? No. Yeah. But, uh, I, mean, I think we wanted to follow up just real quickly, I think, on the MLB draft, just to state that the uh, Royals have signed six. Six, I believe, yeah. Including their number one pick, uh, Blake Mitchell, uh, for about a million under slot value and i think with the total six picks they have they're almost right at expected and they have already signed all of their um players that had slid in the draft uh, at a prospect ranking wise uh were still available in later rounds than expected uh all of those guys have signed so it seems as though they have the opportunity maybe to save money which is what it seems like they're doing what i would think i had kind of expected to see after uh, yeah. they, did, uh, they would maybe come in under slot value overall, and uh, which I don't know is a great 
thing to try to save money on but uh when you're trying to build from nothing yeah you know, I, it's it's you know. you know it's not very much money in the in the scheme of things when like you know what uh, you have how many dollars were allocated to the draft was it like 18 million or something i don't remember what the exact number was but if 13 you, for the royals 13 okay so 13 million you save most or something so i mean you actually have the right to spend more than 25 other teams right so if you're trying to build your franchise it seems like money you want to spend yeah this end i think having the slots has helped be valuable later right yeah i think having the slots has helped sign people more easily than have fewer holdouts um, I, yeah, I would well, say they have, there's an expectation associated with it, right? So yeah, I would guess probably the players players union isn't a big fan of it, but um, it's it has but helped. That, but there's a lot more guaranteed money than in the past. So yeah, there's there's more signings, and there's more money total for signing than there has been in the past drafts. Then so I think in some ways the player union does like it, but. There's more, there's more actual dollars in the draft though than there used to be, which is good. Which is good. And fewer, I guess, there are fewer draft picks too. So each, I guess each person who gets picked will probably get more money that way. But because yeah, I think even the, the last draft, the last round, I think it's still a guarantee somewhere around 150k for the signing slot, at least anyway. Yeah. What the expected is, and I think the Royals even signed a few guys that didn't, uh, that were undrafted, that they picked up after the draft was over, much like they do in the NFL. Um, mm-hmm. So they may they may fill in a few more slots, even with, you know, that that isn't part of the allocation at least anyway for, for the draft. Probably didn't want to actually spend too much time on this, but that was really that was all mm-hmm. the only note I was going to make at least anyway. Any. Anything else about the... Uh... I don't have any other baseball news. We'll see what happens with the second segment of the season. Um, we're in the summer. Do we want to uh, talk about uh, another upcoming summer sporting event? Sure. Uh, the the Women's World Cup? Or do you want to talk about uh, your other piece of information Maybe let's first? Let's other football story here real quick. Oh, I I'd, I'd tried to you know, disguise it a bit. It is actually a soccer story. So Ooh, football, yeah, football, but soccer, American soccer, uh, specifically American soccer, but maybe it's the Europeanization of soccer is the arrival of Lionel Messi uh, to the MLS. So apparently he arrived in Miami this week, apparently somewhat quietly at an, um, at an executive airport with no fanfare, uh, had been spotted, uh, Shopping for groceries with his family without. Uh, I saw that picture. Owned, yeah, which is maybe a nice change for him because apparently he was getting like. I think that's what I'm, a lot of big stars in Europe like that that they can kind of go in un- out to dinner and like six thousand people are following him around. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but also he, because they don't they don't they, look like big athletes in America either because soccer guys are little and yeah. Americans I think don't think of athletes as being smaller than them right. so like you know you associate it with basketball players or football guys or they're all at least six feet tall and and yeah yeah he's relatively anonymous apparently even in miami they know they know he's gonna be mm-hmm. there right um they i guess they introed him last night uh to the to the miami to miami the miami actual like team and crowd 
Inter Miami. It was, it was in the Inter Miami. Yes, there. Um, it was in the rain even too. Still, like eighteen thousand people showed up, I guess, to the stadium to to welcome him. Uh, but I don't. I'm not sure if you knew like what he's jumping into. Have you heard about what Miami Inter Miami's team is like this season? That, this is what I was going to ask you about. I don't know. I haven't been following MLS. I remember that it would be a lot different if if the um, if Sporting KC had signed Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, right. That, I think that uh, would have been almost as big a signing as as Miami's signing of of Lionel Messi. But um, so what was yeah what's yeah what, what, so the, what this is saying? like the true test of if a player can affect a team will be this right here. So Inter Miami hasn't won a game since mid-may apparently they're five five wins 14 losses three draws they're last placed in the e- last place in the east uh so they're they have i believe 18 points on the season and they're 12 points back from the last playoff spot 14 games remaining before he joins the team, this is the playoff odds are 2% just with a single player. But presumably, at least in a few years ago, was the best player in the entire world. How much, uh, what effect do you think he will have on Inter Miami and their chances of making the playoffs this season? So there's still plenty of time 14 more games. Yeah. Well, a third of the season. Uh... How many, how many games out are they from a playoff spot? Uh, they are 12 points back, which would be four wins in deficit that they are right now. Okay. And with 14, I guess, 14 games remaining. I guess they also got Sergio Busquets, uh, former, his, Let Messi's former Barcelona teammate. So right. he's not uh, just, so, so he's a good player too, or at least was a very good player fairly recently. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say, I think they're still too low, but maybe maybe as high as twenty percent um odds with Messi and Busquets, and maybe they get some guys. I don't know if they've been injured or had problems since there, but I I soccer it's it's one guy out of eleven, and mm. I guess if you can if if Messi can score or you know he's a make be a playmaker, I guess getting a goal or two here mm. and there is worth a lot sometimes. So right, so it's one of those things where he's. Even if even maybe four or five goals the rest of the season above what's expected mm-hmm. might get you to th- three wins more than you could have expected, and maybe that would you'd be close to a playoff there, but and so, maybe but, but maybe you'd also be just playing better than you were before. So like, and, and one of the teams ahead of you falls back or something. So like it's yeah. So that's why I say I, I think twenty percent, twenty five percent, something like that. I don't think they have. Um, you far, you're not far off of what the um, the number was anyway. So the number that that was given that I saw in the article that I read anyway was 16. percent That's what they've got 16%. to. 16. Okay, but it was only you know that's changing from two percent. That's a huge change. So really, yeah. right? You know, it's like eight times the chance, right, than what it was mm-hmm. without him. So, will would you be shocked if they make the playoffs? No. I, I, I would be surprised, but not shocked. Yeah. I don't so, think I'd be shocked at all. I don't, I, I don't think, I don't, I don't think expect any, it, but also I would not be surprised at all. 
also i don't follow mls closely enough to be shocked by anything that happens short of like an actual shocking event you know um i don't know what what those shocking events would be but like you know i you, an alien UFO lands on us and, yeah. during a game, and maybe no one notices. Is that what you're? Would that be? I was, that, well, that I was trying to think of one that invo- didn't involve any like horrific injuries or something. Like maybe lightning, lightning strikes like a goal, and the goal sets is, is catches on fire or something. That would be, and like nobody was hurt. You know, something like that. Right. Right. Uh, so would be fairly, I guess, shocking. But um, yeah, so I I. I guess sixteen percent is yeah. It's it's so I was pretty close. I guess for compared yeah. to what the experts wanted. Um, speaking of, you want to speaking of the other big soccer news uh, in world soccer. I guess uh, we had we had the Gold Cup, the Concacaf tournament, where the United States actually lost in the semifinals. Uh, Mexico ended up winning, but uh, there's also the Women's World Cup coming up in a couple of days. Um, I think it starts on Thursday, so the day this airs. Uh, down under in Australia, New Zealand, uh, the U.S. women are the favorites. Uh, they've won two in a row. Uh, do you have any predictions for the Women's World Cup? It's the first time there have been 32 teams. And historically, when those lower teams end up playing the like the women's team, like they're, they're usually more like c- decent and competitive teams because of uh, just the way soccer is on the men's side than there is on the women's side because of inequality issues in a lot of uh, countries and things like that where women are not really given a chance to uh, perform, especially compared to their uh, counterparts in Europe or uh, North America. Um, do you think, uh, yeah, do you think any, you think this uh, is, an, is a, a third win in the row uh, for the U.S. women or is it uh, somebody else's uh, chance this time? I, I don't want to bet against the U.S., especially the U.S. women's national soccer team because they've yeah they're great to watch i watch more women's soccer than i watch men's soccer so uh usa is plus 225 england is plus 375 germany plus 650 spain plus 700 france plus 800 those are the top uh five teams australia plus 1200 um so those are those are like the top um teams uh for the basically i guess england is the second favorite and then Ger- germany has won before i think um spain and france have become much bigger women's soccer countries over the last decade than they were like in the mia ham um yeah. era of usa soccer women's soccer so those a lot of the european countries are really caught up because um, in europe it was seen like it still is in a large extent in Latin America, soccer as being a very kind of macho. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the United States, soccer is not seen as terribly macho. And so that's partly why women were given a chance to play much more. And I guess the idea of women's sports is something that we have have had here for, especially since Title IX uh, passed in the early 70s. Uh, we devoted much more, many more resources to that. Uh, like some other countries are catching up now, and, and presumably that's why they're catching up to the United States uh, in in terms of uh, talent. Do you, but yeah, I don't know who's going to win. I, I would guess probably not the United States. They don't seem to have like a lot of their big stars. Like Megan Rapinoe is on her last legs, basically. 
Um, I think Rose Lavelle, who was the best player they had four years ago, has been injured. So Alex Morgan, I guess, is still on the team. But I, I always thought she was famous because she was good looking more than she was like a really good player. Um, but um, she was, and she's kind of getting older now too. So I don't know who. There's a lot of young players apparently on uh, the team. So maybe maybe that'll maybe that'll uh, get some young young blood uh, going and changing of the guard, but. But this, this is our opportunity to actually pay attention to because we ha- I haven't been at least anyway. But yeah, I was re- I've read a few articles here and there. Um, World, World yeah. Cup is the time to like, uh, yeah. Julia Ertz and Kelly O'Hara are still on the team. Where you watch it, right? Yeah, um, but it's a lot of those older players are going to be mainly played as substitutes. Yeah. Again. So I don't really know. Uh, I would say. If I had to say U.S. or the field, I would say the field. Um, I take the USA. Come on, USA. Mike. Be a homer. I'll be. I'll be the uh, um, contrarian. Yeah. Usually, I play the homer, and you play the contrarian. This time, we're switching around. I guess so. Yeah. So I'll say I want. I, I technically I, I want the United States to win, but I, I would say I, I think probably they won't. I would. I actually wouldn't be surprised if Australia won because it's in Australia. Um, and they're like the sixth favorite, so that's that. That would be my sneaky pick, Australia. They should have a a home field, yeah, advantage, right? Yeah, New, New Zealand, Zealand is, I guess, would be uh, pretty pretty loud, pretty raucous. Yeah, yeah. It's so there's some games in Australia, some games in New Zealand. New Zealand, I guess, is not as good at women's soccer as Australia is. They're like plus fifteen thousand, so they're like ten times less likely than Australia is thought to be to win. So but that's probably the population difference though too, isn't it? Yeah, probably probably. That could be. Yeah. It was one of those things where well I guess you only you only need you know population can only do so much because you yeah. only need eleven or maybe fifteen good players. If you can get fifteen players out of a small group, like it doesn't matter how many extra good players you have because it's right. I guess this, this is why Brazil is like usually the favorite because they're like the biggest good soccer in terms of population the biggest population that's a good soccer team but they can only put 11 of their guys yeah on that team but you're getting into like uh you know st- uh, dv standard deviations of you know from the norm though too right it's yeah. you find multiple guys that are you know you know athletes that are several st- standard deviations away yeah. from more and more you may not Croatia. Deviations, yeah. standard deviations from a smaller population then right so yeah, but like a country like Croatia has done very well, even though their population is like less than Missouri, and they can, you know, because they have Luka Modric and some other good players, they could, you know, they made the, um, you know, World Cup finals uh, in 2018, and they made the semifinals in 2022, losing to. Um, uh, they 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 won the third place game. They lost to Argentina in the semifinals. Were um... oh, it's only a factor of five though, Mike. <laughs> five five times the population. Uh, yeah, so Argentina, I guess, just won over France in penalties. It was a it was a in twenty twenty two. I I had almost I had completely forgotten who actually won. Because it was the 2022 World Cup in uh, in Qatar was a mess. Yeah, right. 
being in December and it was, but there was a really good game. It was three to three in the final. And then, but then of course it kind of had to be ruined by penalties, uh, which I, I don't, I don't find, I guess there's some drama to it, but I don't find shootouts to be good ways to determine the winner of an important game. I would just keep playing. Do you think NBA games should end in a free throw shooting contest? Yeah, no, no. I, I think they should just keep playing. And it's like, I guess it's cultural for some. You know, I guess the idea is, well, you, you gotta run a lot. But like, it's the final of the World Cup. Just run and yeah, settle it. It's like Wimbledon in the fifth in the fifth set. You you know, at least for many years, like, just finish the fifth set. Somebody's gotta win. And yeah, if, if it's if it's down to like, if there's no, if there's no separation, why? Why do we think that the penalty kicks up, you know, the kind of randomness of penalty kicks is any better than like yeah. which team is in better shape uh, at the end or gets a lucky yeah. bounce here? That I, you know, so I, so I would be, I know, like, I know everybody thinks that like that one, the, like the most iconic moment of women's soccer is the Brandy Chastain penalty kick shootout and they won against China, but the U.S. was overwhelmingly favored to win that game, and they went yeah. to penalties, and they happened to get lucky because they won the penalty shootout. Yeah. Uh, and so I just, I don't like. I think I think a lot of it, it's like they're just concerned that the quality of play will get worse as the game goes on, and they don't. I, I I'm just saying that's probably what the argument is. I guess too. if you think that football is the beautiful game, that's all you care yeah. about. Like, yeah. Seems yeah. like the Germans. Yeah, who, who was who were those two tennis players that played like those like fifty game? Fits? That was um, John. It was Isner and Isner. Yeah, that's um, that's right. And uh, Mahu, Nicholas Mahu. Was it two different times that they met in the and played those like really long games, or was it just Isner that had two different Wimbledon long? So this was a 2010 Wimbledon, uh, lasted for 11 hours and five minutes. It was 70 to 68 in the fifth set. <laughs> and it was in the first round. Yeah. I didn't remember it was in the first round. Yeah, I don't think he made it very far either. Uh, it was, well, he was no, like, that's, that's 70 to 68 is 10 sets of 7 6. <laughs> tennis more than 10 sets like so that was like you played like 11 extra sets so that was like a 15 it was like a 15 set match for one game like that's incredible that's just crazy uh <laughs> which i can see maybe why you would end that one. Oh, yeah, isner did also in 2018 in the semifinals have the third longest match he, he lost to kevin anderson Hmm. So it was a different 20, opponent. Yeah, it wasn't. 26, he didn't face the boot again. No, okay. uh, he lost twenty six to twenty four in um uh, the one when eight twenty eighteen Wimbledon semifinals. So he had uh, that extra long match. Yeah, yeah. that one lasted six hours and thirty six minutes. The other one lasted eleven hours. It's almost twice as long. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. It's one of those things like in those matches, usually I think somebody just kind of gets tired and gives up. It's a little bit like who can keep their hand on the car the longest yes. to win. And like, it's just one of those like um, things where those last, when it's, when it's the last two, 
you don't you don't want to lose it to the other person you're going to yeah. keep it on there as long as you can so that's why then it goes really long like if it's like if you're number four or five like, whatever i'm, I'm gonna get out but uh if you're that if you're one of those last two you don't want to and i think that's kind of what it is that fifth set um it's like the, the two with the hand on the car and if it goes that long it's gonna keep, gonna keep they're in it till it's over right until yeah. it's over um speaking of in it uh till it's over do you uh we have do you think the tennessee titans have have made their way into the playoff discussion for the afc with their signing of deandre hopkins people thought maybe the chiefs could get back into it uh the the hopkins sweepstakes but hopkins wanted more money i think he signed two years for 26 million dollars base mm. salary and then up 32 million so that's similar to what Obel, a little bit less but similar to what Obel beckham got from the the ravens um, right but now we have deandre hopkins as being a target for ryan Tannehill, or maybe who knows will of us or uh or not will of us uh yeah right or, or uh yeah it was will, will of us uh malik willis whoever ends up yes. being the backup quarterback um, and but I think Tannehill, if he is, uh, if he's healthy again, I think he's a pretty solid quarterback. And they have, um, Derrick Henry, of course, and now with DeAndre Hopkins, they have three star players on off or you know two great skill position players. They have a mm -hmm. strong defense. Mm -hmm. They've always given the Chiefs fits when they're healthy. When they had, um, uh, you, you know, you know, a couple of years ago, they were the number one seed in the AFC. Mm -hmm. They were in the AFC Championship game against the Chiefs uh, back in 2019. Do you think the t Titans can are, are maybe the favorites now in the uh, NFC South over these last year's winning the Jacksonville Jaguars? Um, personally, I don't, but I think, you know, Jacksonville, I don't think has probably peaked yet. You know, maybe I think you and I were talking before about, you know, maybe having a bit of a relaxed year after, uh, they've popped up a long, we made a big stride. Right. Um, but, uh, but I think Jacksonville is kind of still on their way up is my, hmm. my guess, at least anyway. Yeah. Um, but maybe maybe the point that to be made though is about uh you know Tennessee's um receiver core. Um can you name another Tennessee receiver? Uh Traylon uh Burks was signed as a as a first round draft pick last year out of Arkansas. And um he was uh signed basically to uh replace um, Wood, Robert Woods. Probably right. um no it was um I can't think of his name now. He he was the he was on the uh the Eagles this past year uh when they still oh. they traded um AJ Brown AJ Brown yeah uh, I, Brown. I, I was thinking Antonio. It wasn't Antonio Brown. It was, it was yeah. Thinking right. Antonio Brown in my head. Yeah, it was AJ Brown. So like they had AJ Brown, and they were mm. really good when they had him. And then they got rid of Brown. Mm. Uh, Tannehill got hurt, 
And they, right. that, you know, got into that tail. And then Malik Wills wasn't very good. They had Joshua Dobbs playing, you know, so they, they didn't really Derek have a quarterback. Right? Derrick Henry got hurt. They didn't have a quarterback. And they still gave the Chiefs and some other teams tough games until they really went into that slide. So they only yeah. lost the division by one game. Mm-hmm. They were eight and, I think they were eight and nine. Jacksonville's nine and eight. So I, and Jacksonville is getting Calvin Ridley back or, starting to get them for the first time he would he, they signed him before last season but then he had the gambling suspension so trevor yeah. lawrence you could say has a really good new receiver to throw to i don't think ridley is hopkins but he's he's younger than it was hopkins. it was a two game difference jacksonville was nine and eight tennessee was seven and ten last season oh, seven and ten they fell okay i think if they had they both finished their last seven to finish lost the last season. Season. yeah they were good for a while and then like they beat Green Bay really badly, right? Yeah, Henry and and uh, Tannehill make a big difference, right? Yeah, so I think um, I would I my bet I I would say if I were betting on the NFC South or AFC South, um, I think I would I would I would uh, favor Tennessee because I I do think that there's going to be uh, a little bit of a slump for Jacksonville, mm. and I think. Uh, because usually it's a they sophomore do, slump kind of thing. Sophomore slump. Like if you do better than expected, I think with a new coach the first year, you're not yeah. quite as good the second year. And the Chiefs were like that with Andy Reid when uh, they had a really good first season. I think they were eleven and five uh, after finishing two and fourteen the year before, mm-hmm. and then they I think dropped like nine and seven the next year. Then that's the only team that the Chiefs have had under Reid that hasn't made the playoffs. So um, was the second year under Reid after a really transformative first year. And so I wouldn't be surprised if that happens to the Jaguars or I think the New York giants are probably also very likely to have that happen as well. Or maybe also the uh, Vikings because they were in their first year and had a surprisingly good season. They went off as close. So those would be the three teams that I think might drop that people lacks uh, a bit from there. Yeah. Like new coaches, second year coaches, uh... more success than you thought the first year it's going to be tougher the next year and that's so maybe from the from tennessee's perspective though yeah are they worried about um the two bottom teams the division uh you know making progress indy or houston i i think you can still say the colts have had like the makeup of a strong team like their line is pretty good their offensive line they have um a solid defense. I don't think they have a quarterback unless Richardson really becomes something. He has a lot of upside, but I don't think this first year is going to be the year he shows it. So I wouldn't put a lot of expectation. Yes, they have Jonathan Taylor as a running back. Running backs though are increasingly devalued, even if they're very good. So yeah, I, I think Indianapolis is a much bigger threat than Houston is mm. as a spoiler in the NS, in the AFC. You may have lost your sound here. Is it? I don't. I'm not hearing you now. Okay, can you hear me? back it's back okay i don't know i i lost your sound for a little bit too so no. maybe zoom um 
but maybe yeah, just a little glitch. Anyway, yeah, it was just like the last sentence that you said was uh, okay. So I was thinking, do you think Houston or Indianapolis will be better next year? Do you? Well, I think the reasons for. Well, the one the one interesting thing I think is that maybe maybe Houston could be just a tad better. Uh, well, I guess they're you know they're having like wholesale changes there too, right? Like their coaching staff has turned over. Uh, they had a bunch of draft picks this year, right? And uh, um, the number one receiver from last season from from Tennessee is now um in Houston too. So maybe the woods, yeah. Um. You know, maybe that'll have a, an effect too. So, so I mean, you know, Hopkins is having to come in to re- basically replace their number one receiver. So it's really the, I mean, I don't yeah, know it's that really it's really much of a change from what they had last year, but uh, you know, because it's not like they're adding a guy that can be a thousand yard receiver to you know to a guy that already had you know five six hundred yards last year. Um, this is like you know replacing a 500 yard receiver who was the team's leader uh last season yeah i guess they didn't tend to have a quarterback really most of last season that's also true though so and the numbers are a little bit uh you know skewed maybe Tannehill's on probably the downslope of his career but i think if Tannehill does okay i think it's like if if they start thinking well we have to go to levis instead of Tannehill, i think that's a sign that um Tennessee is not playing for this year, but maybe playing for the future. But I no. think I think there's still one year that they might have a run in them, and that's um, maybe this year. I, I think Houston, I guess the argument for Houston maybe being better than Indianapolis is that I think C.J. Stroud, the rookie, their rookie quarterback, has a higher floor mm. than Richardson does. So maybe he's more polished from the get-go and able to do more. But I don't... Like I don't, I don't really like the Demeco Ryan's hire because he's a defensive coach, and I think in this day and age, having a defensive-minded head coach is it's it's a zag when other people are zigging. But I think, yeah, sometimes just to, just to do that is I don't know. It's it's one of those things where like I think certain people like an attitude, and defensive coaches have this attitude, but in reality, I think in the NFL being being like an offensive type of team having an extra like so the the head coach is kind of an extra uh coach in addition to the regular staffs so like Andy Reid you know it's like Andy Reid plus an offensive staff that is why the Chiefs offense is so good um mm. i think having an extra defensive mind in there doesn't i think it doesn't do that much to me I, for me i i i think um I think really you're pl- you're handicapping yourself if you don't have an offensive head coach. Yeah. yeah, you can see what Belichick's done in the last several years without Brady to help. I think there's, you know, um, yeah. Sean McDermott hasn't been able to, you know, turn Buffalo into Super Bowl winner. Although Buffalo's problems have been defensive as much as they more than they've been offensive, kind of ironic. I know. So that's my that's my that's my two cents for the uh, AFC South. I I I think people are sleep, we're we're sleeping on Tennessee. I think now maybe Tennessee is a credible playoff contender. Hmm. That's so. Many were, things might change. Were, um, looks like they were three slots out of the playoffs last season. 
level with the Jets. So then, you know, which of those two teams do you think will have more wins at the end of the season? The new look Jets or the DeAndre Hopkins Titans? I, well, I think having Aaron Rodgers really helps the Jets, but the problem for the Jets is they play in a better division than mm. absolutely the, uh, the Titans do. And I think the Titans schedule. It doesn't look uh, too bad. They have to play the Bengals relatively early. Who's there? Who's the NFC? Um, opponents that the that Tennessee Tennessee gets the Saints oh, so they're playing the NFC South so that's a good division to play against um you get the Falcons like in late October yeah because the NFC South is the worst division other than you know I think the worst division in the NFC probably but they get the Seahawks later oh, so that's their extra that's their that's their uh 17th game, I guess, is Tennessee-Seattle. I only see three NFC teams. Oh, Tampa. There's Tampa. Yeah, the Bradyless Bucks. Yeah, Yeah, so they have a pretty decent schedule, I guess, right? Yeah, I think – and the Jets, I think, play a tougher uh, schedule because uh, I think they play – they play – they play the AFC West, I think, because they play the Chiefs and as their divisional opponent. And I think uh, as their divisional rivals, I think maybe you could say AFC North, AFC West on total is probably a kind of a wash. But mm. I think I think the Jets play the uh, NFC East. So yeah. they play the Cowboys, they play the Eagles, the Giants, and the, the Eagles and Giants, whatever they're whatever they're going to be called by uh, the 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 season if they yeah. can't keep the commander's name. Uh, commanders on Christmas Eve. So that's a tougher schedule the Jets have. So they also get the Falcons. Okay. Well, it'll be they'll be that'll be a common opponent anyway. Common opponent, yeah. The Falcons, and I guess so. On top of what other common opponents? I I don't I don't know if I like the. I wouldn't be surprised if they have similar records, but yeah, I th- I think the Titans are a better team than the Jets. I think I think they both have good defenses. The Jets had a really good defense last year. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a quarterback, so maybe you could say we'll have well having Rodgers instead of Wilson or Mike White is a big step up. But the Tennessee didn't have a quarterback much of the year either, and Tannehill over. Joshua Dobbs or Malik Willis is a big step up if he can play well. And they got a better offensive weapon than the Jets did when they got Nicole Hardman. Or, you know, I guess they'll have some of the um, Brees Hall back maybe from injury. Although sometimes, mm-hmm. the, sometimes, sometimes the next year after your knee injury is not as good as the year after that. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and... Being joined by some other uh, Iowa State guys too. Uh, um, Will McDonald. Yeah. Draft pick, uh, Will McDonald, defensive end. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, Alan Lazard came over just before Rogers did too. Yeah. 
wide receiver. Yeah, and Garrett Wilson, I guess, is going to be in his second year. Maybe he can uh, have another good year. I, but I don't I, – I think the spotlight will be on the Jets more than it will be on Tennessee and maybe mm-hmm. – Oh, for sure. So Tennessee, I think Tennessee will have less pressure on them. Mm. So. And I think the Jen- Jets are also the uh, hard knocks team, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say maybe Tennessee. I don't I don't know what the other revised odds. Um, um I haven't looked to see if the if the Hopkins deal has made a new updated odds. Yeah, right now. Chiefs are plus six hundred. That's the on FanDuel. I'm looking at FanDuel. Um, Tennessee is plus six thousand. Hmm. And the Jets are plus sixteen hundred to win the Super Bowl. I think the Jets are higher than the Ravens, for example, plus eighteen hundred. Higher than the Jags, plus twenty five hundred. Chargers, plus twenty five hundred. Dolphins, plus twenty five hundred. I don't. I think that's. I think those are very optimistic odds for the Jets. And Rogers has had trouble getting out of the NFC playoffs against quarterbackless teams or Tom Brady. Uh, one then that one time, you know, I. I don't see it. I, I like, I don't know, I, if I had to make a bet, uh, about $100 to bet on either Tennessee or, or New York, I would take Tennessee at four, four times. I think there's, mm. I don't think the Jets are four times as likely to win the Super Bowl as Titans. Yeah. I just found this article on, um, from A to Z Sports that uh, these simulations that were, were run uh, showed that uh, the Hopkins edition accounts for – 0.4 more wins for the team this season, but that actually translates to a six and a half percent higher playoff odds. Hmm. Just with the addition of the single player. I think a lot of that's just because they don't they don't have like a number one receiver until now, right? Yeah. It looks like on DraftKings, the Titans odds were plus eight eight thousand. So that may be, maybe they haven't updated much mm-hmm. um so yeah, if i had to i guess you would bet on DraftKings or uh, and or right now so you can get, you can get more out of yeah. well, we're not far away from probably us talking about who we're going to be taking in the division round yeah. you know the this division. weekend yeah this weekend is is training camp and i think rookies have already reported or are reporting right now uh, report tonight, tonight quarterbacks so, and rookies, i guess right yeah, so next week or the week after, we have a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, I don't know if I'll be around Tuesday of next week. Maybe we can, maybe we can still do a a power hour. Maybe we'll have to skip a week or do something else for the summer or maybe just have a solo. Uh, just a rant. It'll just be yeah. a long monologue rant next week, possibly. Or you can find a, maybe you can find a guest host. Maybe you could get um, Marina or somebody as your, as your, as your guest host. Listen to me rant about the Royals. It could be now. like it'll be like when 20, Tony Kornheiser goes on uh, vacation, and you know, uh, yeah. somebody comes yeah. in for. 
they bring in Pablo Torre or yeah, yeah, It'd be just like that. Maybe you can, yeah, maybe you can get Dan Levitard uh, to replace me. <laughs> he's big time. I don't think he's available. Yeah, probably. But we'll see who is available next week. Hopefully, you guys are available next week. Uh, hopefully. Uh, you you will enjoy uh, the sporting weekend, maybe watching the Women's World Cup, seeing how NFL training camp shakes out. For the Chiefs, we, we're kind of still wondering what's going to happen with Chris Jones. Is he going to hold out for his new contract, things like that? But we'll talk about that as we uh, wind down the summer. And you have anything else to add, Dr. Scaff? Mm. Right. Ranted enough for one day. Yeah. Thank you for uh, joining us on... Uh, our little podcast here uh, as as always i am dr michael werman he is dr andrew scaff we are the warning track power hour please like and subscribe to our channels or podcasts and you can listen to all of our wonderful content and programming from the past couple of years yeah. sometimes some of it remains timeless even if some of it is <laughs> There's never, I think, you aren't going to be able to find another good discussion of the Quad Cities uh, mm. on a another podcast or, or, you know, or you know, things like that. So, not that, a chance. That's, that's where we have cornered the market, even if nobody's aware of it. But we can talk about more of that next time on the Warning Track Power Hour. Until then, we'll wish you good day.